This episode is brought to you by NordVPN. Listen up, nerds. No. Good evening, Mr. and Mrs. America, from border to border and coast to coast and all the ships at sea. What? Hello, friends. Do you have a computer? Of course you do, because it's not 1987. Hell, you're listening to this on some kind of computer right now. But do you have a VPN? Oh, (laughs) what's a VPN, you ask? Well, my friend, a VPN is a virtual private network and it offers two key benefits. Enhanced privacy and security online. But VPNs do a lot more than that. VPNs shield your IP address, change your browsing location, and make online life easier. It's all about safety and security, my friends. But, like everything else in life, it's also about watching TV. Don't let your paid subscriptions go to waste. I use NordVPN to access my home content while I'm traveling. Wink, wink. Plus, secure your connection on public Wi-Fi in airports, hotels, cafes, anywhere you go when you're traveling. There's over 6,300 servers in 111 countries, and you can find a nearby server for the best VPN speeds. NordVPN is easy to use. Connect with one click or enable auto-connect for zero-click protection. And it's got amazing speed. NordVPN is one of the fastest VPNs out there. And with just one NordVPN account, you can use it on six devices. It supports every major platform, Windows, Android, iOS, Mac OS, Linux, and even Android TV. I think those are all real. Don't miss out on all the awesome benefits for using a VPN. Go to nordvpn.com ifanboy today for a risk-free 30-day money-back guarantee. The link's in the show notes. Once again, that's nordvpn.com ifanboy. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Um, you ever feel like you really need to get something off your chest? This is this this is a, like a real thing. Like, if you're mad, if you're upset, if uh, if there's something going on, like the I, there's there's often for me an idea. Maybe it's a wrong. Maybe it's a moment. It's it's an injustice. It's something that because you, you keep going on and on over and over in your mind about it, and like that can create anger and resentment or shame, whatever it is. And very often. I have found, I am not a therapist, I have found that when you let it out, when you give it voice, when you say it out loud, um, sometimes it makes you feel better because you've, you've expressed it. And sometimes it makes you realize like, oh, this is not a big deal that I've, it's been stuck in my head. So you give voice to those things um, and it can make you feel a lot better. And shock of all shocks, therapy is one of those things that can help you do that. It can help you be able to say those things in a place where you don't need to worry about the repercussions of it, work your way through it, uh, figure out coping skills, how to get around it, you know, find, find ways to deal with that stuff instead of letting it fester. Um, if you are thinking of starting therapy, uh, if anything I said sounds familiar, you're like, oh, maybe my life would be a little better if I could deal with that kind of thing. You should give BetterHelp a try. It's fully online. It is convenient, flexible. It is suited to your schedule. That's the idea. That's what they're going for. Um, you can fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. That's a big deal. You can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. That that personal connection, I believe, to be super important. Again, I'm not a professional. Uh, get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash iFanboy today. You get 10% off your first month. That is BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash iFanboy. This is iFanboy Media Explode, episode 15. Mother, mother, there's too many of you crying. Brother, 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 there's far too many of you dying. You know we've got to find a way to bring some My fanboy media explode episode 15 my name is connor kilpatrick i'm here with josh flanagan 
Hi. And Ron Richards. Hello, my friends. And this is Mediasplode, our show unlocked by the patrons at patreon.com slash ifanboy. It's where we talk about non-comic book media because we have all of our other shows to talk about comics and related media. This is our fun time. This is our This is the, this vacation. is this is the listen, the Jamokes need a break. <laughs> yeah. Okay. God, do listen, I might I might not be there weekly with you guys, but I can use a break too. So <laughs> I miss the days of the show when I could like start reading a magazine while you guys were talking about some book I didn't care about. But that doesn't happen anymore. <laughs> Sorry. Just no, because every once in a while he'll be like, right? And I'll have to go, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's my fault. Thanks to the patrons for unlocking the show. And uh, there'll be spoilers, I guess, possibly in some of the things we talk about. But we'd like to always start the show. We're not in lockdown anymore, so I figure we can't call it quarantine streaming anymore. But we can call it, like, what we've been enjoying for the last month. Listen, the world might not be in lockdown, but I feel like I'm still in lockdown. <laughs> <laughs> he has twin toddlers. Yeah, for the exactly. next 18 years. <laughs> I guess I can start. What have I been enjoying since we last spoke a month ago or so ago? We're at the tail end of our Shit's Creek binge we're about a quarter of the way through season six the final season really enjoying that watched in the heights which i liked but didn't love we watched that last night which i liked but did not love right and it's funny because i, I don't want to die, die yeah. uh, to, you know whatever but because we were talking about it because as some like we're all fans of hamilton yeah right and carrie and i were talking about it after we watched because we were just counting the number of times we we're like well, that's a that was used in Hamilton. That was used in Hamilton. That was used in Hamilton. Like the the style of song yeah, the and the tropes and yeah. some of the things like that, and and also the theme of the stories, or like who tells your story and all stuff like that. But we were laughing because I was like just in shock at how much of like we because we said like oh god this is like a Hamilton knockoff, but he did this, <laughs> he did this before Hamilton. Yeah. So then we turned it around. And we're like man, if you're a big Lin Manuel Miranda fan and you were like loved in the Heights, and then you went to go see Hamilton, and be like what the hell? He's just ripping off in the Heights. <laughs> <laughs> well, arguably, he said that he did it better. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I've I've read so, I read some articles because I was trying to see about people talking about the similarities and like Connor the lottery song and the um, yeah. in the pool, the ninety six thousand dollars like that style is. I forget what song, but it's I think it's running out of time or whatever that is out of time. But there there are a lot of like direct similarities to Hamilton. I read some critics who said that like actually in the Heights is a superior musical than Hamilton. I you know it I, I just didn't. Want- much, you know, I couldn't. Yeah. I couldn't remember a single song or melody from the, in the Heights. I mean, I, I liked in the Heights. Yeah. I thought the performances were good and the story was fun. But I guess the musical, I didn't come out of humming anything. I still play the Hamilton soundtrack Let me, yeah. a lot, where I couldn't tell you one song. Hamilton was a moment in time and the history aspect and all that sort of stuff. But it's but it is interesting how they are very similar both in song and structure and theme. Yeah, uh, it's not unusual for artists to, to oh yeah, no, exactly. explore a theme throughout their but, work. I do. I do have a question to posit to you, uh, Connor yeah. and Josh. If you are producing a show about Latinos in the Bronx or New York City, is it a SAG rule that you have to cast Jimmy Smiths? It should be. He's Not wonderful. Just New York City, my friend. I feel like he's in everything. He's whenever great. I'm like, oh, <laughs> he's so good. He was very good in the, in, in the Heights. Yeah. Also watched the Friends reunion, which I liked a lot. That was weird. As someone working who worked in television production, and current Connor curious if you agree, I felt the structure and some of the decisions they made with that was very odd. There were things I definitely would have done differently if I was directing yeah. the show, but I wasn't. I would have spent more time with them alone on the set than I did in the in the talk show format because I thought that would led to more interesting stuff, and that's the kind of stuff the fans really wanted to see was them sort of reminiscing on the set with each other, but. Then again, if you hadn't done the talk show format, you wouldn't have found out about Schwimmer and Aniston liking each other. You do what you can. Everybody hated James Corden. He's polarizing. Yeah. 
that was fun. The one I wanted to really focus on, which is going to be a short discussion because you guys will have nothing to say about it, was I don't watch a lot of reality television, but I love the Below Deck franchise. And the season's Below Deck of, of Below Deck Sailing Out, which just wrapped up, was the best season. What is Below Deck? Is that the Star Trek thing? No, no, that's that's another deck show. This is a reality TV show about super yacht workers who work on super yachts in the Mediterranean or around Europe. You know, it's basically Downton Abbey on a boat. What channel is this on? Some Bravo. I've, oh. never, I've never heard of this. Some Bravo. You don't. It's fine. You don't have cable. I don't. Josh, have you heard of this? It's been on going on for about I, ten I, years. I, it's it's one I of the biggest shows been on Bravo. Involved with this since uh, In the Heights started. <laughs> Are you reading so, a magazine? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I am. Perfect. It's like a little nostalgia trip for you today. But you know, it's a show that focuses on the crew who crew these luxury yachts that people, really rich people, rent out, and it's each two episodes constitutes one group of customers and then they switch you know then they switch to the next charter the next charter you know it's all young attractive people working on a luxury yacht full of booze and food and it's not trashy reality tv but it's a really enjoyable look at the dif- the difference in class on a boat like this where the people are striving to make their lives better below deck and then the people above deck are the, p- the rich people renting the boats out and they're often really horrible it's just really fun i look forward to it every monday and this was a great season they had emergencies they had accidents the boat crashed into a wall they ran out of power in the middle of the ocean. One of those ocean walls. Yeah, when they had to dock, they had to dock the boat. And they crashed into right. the into the dock because they lost power as they were sailing towards the towards the wall. It was usually the drama from the show comes from the crew being somewhat incompetent, but everybody in this, this one was really good at their jobs. The, the drama came from all the interpersonal stuff. It just was a lot of fun, and it's one of Bravo's biggest hits next to their Housewives franchises. And I I just love the hell out of the the show. Yeah, it's been going on for about ten years. Interesting. Interesting. That's a long time to not know about something. There's below deck. There's below deck Mediterranean about just about the Mediterranean boats, and then there's below deck sailing yacht, which they've added recently, which is not about a super yacht, but about a giant sailboat that you that is, serves the same purpose. You can rent out with your rich friends and and be you know it's like a five star hotel on 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 the sea. It's interesting. Mm hmm. It's probably on Peacock because that's where all the Bravo shows are. So if you're interested in that, that's where it is. Yeah, I just I, I the reality TV thing. It's funny because my wife was watching something that was reality, and I was like, "Oh, aren't you so glad you know me and we and I purge reality TV from you?" And she's like, "Oh, I'm sorry." Did Mr. she throw how a book at seasons, you? How many seasons of The Real World and Big Brother did you watch? And I'm <laughs> yeah. like, oh, "That's fair. That's fair." But I have moved on from reality TV. I don't watch hardly anything. I think it's like Survivor yeah. and Below Deck is basically it yeah. for me at this point. Yeah, I, I pretty much only watch Top Chef at this point. But I mean, part of it is now like you just know the formula of how they like at the beginning. It's all about, OK, they just said this in the cold open. And that means so and so is going to get kicked off or whatever. And that's almost part of it at a certain point. But I don't know if I found anything that's in- I, I don't trust anything to be at all real anymore. Oh, you want to know a weird thing that happened and you guys won't know who this is. But a few seasons ago on regular below deck. They had an accident where one of the crew members got knocked off the boat and his leg was tangled up in a cable and the other end of the cable was attached to a cleat on the boat. And if it hadn't been detached, his leg would have been ripped off and he would have died in the ocean. The cameraman on the show dropped his camera, you know, which Josh will tell you is like a cardinal sin of the, of the crew getting involved in the reality TV, dropped his camera and untied the cleat really quickly and he was saved. The cameraman was the brother of my freshman year roommate in college. But you guys didn't know that my freshman year roommate in college. Oh, we were wow. friends at that point. But I was like, that guy's name is familiar. And then I Googled it and it turned out he was my freshman year roommate's brother. Huh. Wow. Interesting. Yeah. Looks like there's a new season of Top Chef that started that I didn't know about, which is how I watch Top Chef. Every, 
year or so, I say. I wonder if there's a new Top Chef. And then there is. My freshman year roommate, who was not with us in the communication school, was some other school. He was only there for one year. Also became a professional cameraman. So it just happened that uh, he didn't go to the communication school, but he ended up in that. Yeah, my uh, roommate, I think he's, he's like a survivor, uh, amazing race camera guy. He's in that production group. And then oh his my brother gosh. is in like the Bravo world. Huh. Yeah. Uh, I wonder what their holidays are like. I don't know, but like, probably oh, never man. there, honestly. But anyway, that was interesting. Move on. Josh, what did you watch or enjoy the last month? I was trying to decide of the two things I wanted to talk about. The first one is I, I, I finished whatever I was watching, and I couldn't figure out what to put on next because it has to be just the right thing during the day when I'm trying to work, so I keep it going and I don't have to think about it very much, and I don't have to find something new. And I was like, I think I'll watch Justified. Mm-hmm. So I started watching Justified again, which I hadn't seen since it first came through, which I always remember liking a lot, but thinking it was a little spotty and I didn't really like all of it. And I thought the well, I thought the first season wasn't great, but then the second one was. And it turns out I was wrong about a lot of that stuff and that it was pretty good all the way through. I love season one. Yeah, no, it, it was literally much better than I remembered it. I think I just hadn't had it down. It I, has more of the gunslinger ethos than, than you know, the seasons beyond yeah. that get into like deeper, longer stories. So the first season is more of like, a western almost like an old you know what, 50s though? western where he comes into town and defeats somebody that was the thing i didn't like as much about it because i thought it was just like episode of the week but really there was an overall storyline sure. that i hadn't remembered so i've really been digging that i'm almost through the end of five which is the michael rapaport season which is funny because <laughs> season five is the one with the most recognizable guest stars it's not the best one at all so i'll wrap it up and see how it's going but uh it's been really fun i, I just i thought man there's so many great characters and so many great actors in this it's all these you know alumni from band of brothers because the because graham yost is the mm-hmm. executive producer and showrunner and oliphant and walton goggins are just like a, how did they not win a ton of awards it's just a great show what I like about Oliphant is he sort of has adopted the persona of, yeah, like he wears a cowboy hat now and he sort of talks like a laconic cowboy. Where before he was kind of like a surfer guy. Yeah, it's like he sort of became. He fa- he, fa- he found his niche. He yeah. found his spot. Re- yeah, He's yeah. really good at that. Yeah, 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 really, really great. And it's funny because you know he had been in uh, Deadwood, which is sort of where I first knew him from, and he did that, but he like justified, which is arguably not as good of a show and probably less influential overall. Like that really became his thing as opposed to the, the Deadwood character. So they're actually very different Marshall gunslinger guys. <laughs> Oddly enough, I guess then the other thing was, you remember, you remember, you'll remember savvy listeners that last week or last month we were talking about how I was listening to the, the death on the wing po- podcast about basketball and deaths. And then, uh, I said, I'd watched, uh, some 30 for 30 documentaries, uh, on, um, on basketball, and it turns out I'm watching sports again. <laughs> I've been getting these text messages from Josh now on yeah. Fridays and Saturdays going, are you watching this game? And I was, I'm like, no, at no. first I was like, I've what watched, the fuck is happening? I've watched every game of the NBA playoffs from uh, from the end of sort of round two. Into the oh semis. my God, are you, uh, did they pull you back in? Kinda. This is, it, this, is, this is like 1997 when I had been out of baseball for eight years and I happened to overhear on the radio that the Mets got Mike Piazza, and it pulled me back in. I was out, <laughs> and now you're in, Josh. Now you're well, back in. You, you not, like sports I'm, again. I doubt that I would follow it like moment to moment in the season. However, hardly anybody does, a, by the way, just so FYI. No, hardly I don't see hardly anybody follows the NBA regular season. They all come in for the playoffs. So 
diehards do, but most people aren't diehard Ben Gay fans. So it was that that podcast got me started. So I started thinking about it, and then I was like, I had. I got, like I said, I got ESPN Plus for free. I don't pay for it. So I started watching some of those again, and I've watched pretty much all of the NBA documentaries at this point. And then I started playing NBA 2K21 on my Xbox because it was there. And then I was like, I wonder what's going on in the games. Oh, look, it's playoff time. And yeah, I've been texting back and forth with Connor uh, as games are going on. I'm missing Connor, a game you, right you, now. Connor, do you that, like basketball? I watch the playoffs. Fascinating. Yeah. And the thing is, is that every single game, we're down to, if you listen to this, I don't, uh, you'll listen to it later in the week, so it might have changed, but we're down to the four teams. We've got uh, the Bucks and Hawks, and then uh, the Clippers and Suns. And the first stuff that I had watched was, the last round was the Hawks and the Sixers. And I was like, this just looks like a bunch of people playing one-on-one. Because I was aware that the game had changed significantly since the last time I watched it. We went from this, you know, sort of hard-nosed defense, big man game to whatever this that everybody shoots from everywhere all the time game and i was i was it's become a video game. kind of i was kind of fascinated but kind of annoyed by it you know uh as it, it sort of it, but then when we went into later rounds, some of the other like i thought the Suns and the bucks played a little more team ball mm-hmm. and so i was i was like i was like i've decided these are the ones i will root for <laughs> you know and i'm starting to like get to know people again it's really funny because all of the players who i know are all the old commentators now which yeah. made me go Oh, so all the people we're talking before were the old people then. <laughs> but it's it's enough that I was like, is that Reggie Miller talking? And, you know, oh, it is. I knew that at least. But and Jeff Van Gundy was the coach of the Knicks when you were watching before. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And, yeah. Yep. I was aware of that as well. Because you can watch the – there's a documentary on Reggie Miller where, where they talk to Jeff Van Gundy because of their rivalry against the Knicks. I'll just say I enjoy that I, I text Ron about baseball and I text you about basketball, and I think it's fun. Which, by the way, uh, Connor, are you not watching EuroCup? Yes, I am. Well, I, okay, I, we, unless I can. I, you yeah. know, they're, they're on he an odd time. Italian about that. Yeah, yeah. It's, like uh, a real the, one. Not I yet. gotta tell you, the, the Italy Austria game this weekend nearly gave me a heart attack. Well, it, Italy is, uh, mm-hmm. you know, they're a powerhouse this time. But I, I yeah. happened to be randomly watching the game where the guy collapsed and died on the field and then was resuscitated. Yeah. But that's pretty bad. I'm watching. Wow. It's just that it's it's just on episode times. But yes, I have been. Do you have favorites in the NBA right now that you're you? I don't really. I mean, you know, that's kind of. I kind of didn't care who was going, but eventually I sort of was like, well, I think this team's better. And I realize when I say stuff like that, I feel like I'm the old, I'm the one who takes the old person one because whenever you watch anything about basketball in the past, there's always the people like they didn't like these new kids coming along at Michigan, and I was like, oh no, I think that's me now. So, I mean, I grew up in New York, so I root for the Knicks, but then. Uh, slowly, yeah, but slowly, you know, in the '90s for sure, the Patrick mm-hmm. Ewing years. But uh, slowly, my family's off in San Antonio, so we, so we sort of morphed into becoming Spurs fans, mm-hmm. especially during the Tim Duncan era. And the Spurs are not good anymore. The Knicks made to the playoffs, but lost in the first round. So I was rooting for the Net, the Nets because I lived, you know lived in Brooklyn. Yeah, uh, they got eliminated. The Clippers are an LA team, but I don't really have any affiliation for them, other than mm-hmm. I know people here who like them. But I'm just kind of watching the games and enjoying them. I sort of pick a. A team. I can root for the Bucks. I like the. I think the mm-hmm. Bucks are fun. I don't yeah. really care who comes out of the West. I, I'd, I'd, I'd be fine with the Clippers, but you know. So I guess ultimately root for the Bucks. In it, I guess overall. Yeah, I could go with that. And the thing is, this I don't know who are actually good teams. Like I don't know if I'm just picking out the favorite. Mm-hmm. Or well, like, the, the oh, Nets the were the favorite. They, then two of their three best players got hurt in the playoffs. See, I knew all. I know all their players, but I also like. I knew that they were big, but I didn't realize that they were all really old, relatively speaking. So, like, they were all the best players in the NBA five years ago, and they're all on one team now. Ron, put together. 
Save yes. save us and the audience. I mean, I'm enjoying it, but I, I. So what I've been watching, I've been trying. We actually we actually watch a lot. I was going to mention we watched In the Heights, and I've been watching a lot of Finding Nemo and Little sure. Mermaid and the various Frozen's. But aside from the kids, actually there are two things on the Hangout. Josh, you and I talked about for our patrons who watch, listen to our most recent hangout. I think on this show too, I've been complaining about documentaries that don't really give you the answer. You know, wait a minute. Most, I, I think. Hold on, I, I haven't watched it yet. I just haven't had time. I was I planning on watching the hangout, but I missed because I was sick. Did you really say the Golden State Killer had never been found? I didn't finish it. I said I was on the last episode. Yeah, but that was like a huge news story last year. I was, totally the, missed it. it I had no first, idea. The first person found with genealogy from one of those. Yeah, I completely services. missed it. I was, I was, I was treating it like completely as if I hadn't known anything. Ron, I could have warned you. That whole documentary about him is stupid because it's based on a book written by Patton Oswalt's wife, who died tragically. Wow. But his name does not appear in her book. She had no idea. Yeah, she I know. Did not I know. Well, you should watch. The, you should watch the show. I don't want to. Because they handled it really well, and it was really interesting. So for those, as Connor jumps all over me and jumps the gun, um, I'd watched, I'd finally caught up and finished <laughs> I'll, be, I'll Be Gone in the Dark, which came out last year, on, and it was on HBO, which is based on Michelle McNamara's book of the same title. Uh, she's Patton Oswalt's late wife, who was working on a book about the Golden State Killer. What the show does is kind of give its, and this is the, a brief mention, I have a longer mention about something else, but basically it tells her story about investigating the, the murder while also telling the stories of the murders, and really, really fascinating fascinating and they just released a follow-up episode a year later after the guy who got caught got sentenced and the reaction and stuff like that so it's a great it's a nice complete story really interesting and it was a nice true crime thing where i found out the answer i found out who it was which is fascinating well the thing is like it's the hottest genre right true crime yeah so all these companies are rushing out these documentaries which don't have rap i agree with you it's annoying like every once in a while it's okay to have a, a documentary about an unsolved case but it seems like they're just taking on anything now that they can possibly turn into a three-part documentary if there's no resolution whatsoever, and it is annoying. Yep. Yeah, it's frustrating. So this was nice to see one that actually had a resolution, had an interesting angle to it, tragic at the same time. I mean, it was a gut punch when she passes away and Pat Oswalt and his kid and all that stuff and their kid. Really tragic, but really, really interesting and fascinating case, and I'm, I'm glad they caught the guy and figured it out. And yes, Connor, they, she did not have his name, but they went through and they played clips of her positing like well i think it's a guy who's like this and it was and like she basically described this dude mm. so like she was she was zeroing in had she not passed away from like taking yeah, she wasn't done with the book he yeah. had to finish the book not him but uh, another yeah. true crime writer and her researcher finished the book and Patton helped Pat make it happen but tragic that she died of like yeah she was taking adderall in the morning and then taking xanax at night and like it was just it, oh just so it was bad but anyway He's spoken about it in detail it's really sad yeah it's really brutal, really, really brutal. But so that was good. So I'll be gone in the dark and HBO. But the other documentary that me and my wife watched, we were just randomly, in fact, we were talking, we were, we're going to be talking about Mythic Quest uh, this, this episode on the Media Split, and we were watching. So we're on Apple TV, and it served up a documentary called 1971, The Year That Music Changed Everything. I've watched two of these. And oh, well, hmm, you might want to stop listening. Um, <laughs> We're like, oh, that looks interesting. And so we watched the first episode and was really drawn in. Being a huge music fan, I'd never realized the impact that 1971 had. Exile on Main Street from the Rolling Stones, Hunky Dory from David Bowie, Who's Next from The Who, What's Going On from Marvin Gaye, Blue by Joni Mitchell, Led Zeppelin IV, right? Uh, Elton John's first record. Like the, all this stuff happened in 1971 in regards to music. And the positioning of this uh, documentary was that with all the stuff coming out of the 60s, 
90s and with all the stuff that had changed in the world, the world was changing and music was at the forefront of it and it really impacted so much that was going on. And like first episode, like, yes, there's a lot about the Beatles breaking up and John Lennon and George Harrison, the Bangladesh concert and like Josh, the stuff that is right up your alley. Yeah, no, yeah. And then like episode four or five, it just kind of crashes into a wall. I had felt that at the end of two, which is why I didn't get, get yeah. keep going. Sometimes you got a ninety minute documentary, and you don't yeah. have a five part series. I mean, I think that was what it was. It, it was, was like eight episodes. That's crazy. Yeah, I it, saw that and I was like, that's way too much. What's crazy? So it's eight episodes, and what's fascinating is that it starts off really talking about like this is what's going on in the world, and this is how music is directly affecting it. You know what I mean? Like you know Marvin Gaye putting out a political record, and you know, and people pay, taking notice, or like John Lennon, you know, doing. All the stuff you know, the, the the protests and all that sort of stuff that he would do, right? And it really, really did it. And then it just sort of deviated to like, and this was going on, and this was a song that came out. Like it just like it got really meandering, and it was wasn't it wasn't and every once in a while you'd be like, oh, I I like that album, right? Anyway, then there was this, right? Oh, there was like that. there was like a maybe a two-minute throwaway anecdote about Lou Reed and the Velvet Underground. I'm like, do an episode on that. I was like, that's not, like, I want to know more about that. But um, there was a bunch of just, they got, they got really meandering about some topics and they kept on, they were very obsessed with the Rolling Stones because this is, you know, this is the Rolling Stones post-Altamont and banished from the UK because of tax problems and so they're living in France and getting addicted to heroin and all this sort of stuff. And as you both know, I detest the Rolling Stones. So one episode was enough, but like two or three was like, oh God, come on! Didn't Jack, somebody, exact like, did he Mick Jagger executive produce it or something? Oh, I don't know. I, I wouldn't be surprised. That would explain it once again why there's so much in it. No, he didn't. You know, he had nothing okay. to do with it. executive producers. Asif Kapadia, who's the director, James Gay Rees, Adam Barker, and Chris King. Hmm. So, so it started off as something that was like, this is really exciting and this is really cool. And then it just kind of, you know, kept on, you know, like I said, meandering and going off topic and not, you know, an entire episode about Carol King. <laughs> but um, songwriter. Yeah, Huge. but true, true. Uh, so like we, we stuck it out. We watched the entire thing. We made it through all eight episodes. Wow. It was just I felt like I was like, this is a really cool concept. And like, I'm excited to watch like not a true crime documentary and like and see like a aspect of the world that I didn't quite understand at that moment. And so I know more about that year, but overall it was disappointing. It was too much. I I really like, I watched two of them by the second one. I was, I was kind of struggling. I haven't, I hadn't decided to quit, but I just, I saw there were so many, I was like, where there's not going to be a line you can (laughs) hold through there. Like I was thinking, you know, things that work like that are what the OJ made in America documentary. Like that's the only one I can think of where it, it was all so, connected for that long maybe the michael jordan one yeah i was yeah but but again those are both easy for us to hold on to because i mean what ken burns ken burns you can do it that's about it it's it's tough and i don't think that there was enough of a hook to hang this on and which is what you're saying but i didn't feel it from from early on so there was some amazing footage i had never seen though and uh, and I would if you can skip ahead, I think to episode seven or maybe even eight, Josh, because you'll like the, the and like 
I thought the Who would be more featured, but they, it's limited to just one episode, and mm-hmm. it was specifically about Pete Townsend's um, exploration of electronic music and like how that Lighthouse Project. Yes, and how that led to Bob O'Reilly, and and uh, that that was very interesting, and I was like, okay, cool, and so um, uh, and, and like it, it was for a documentary that was about how the year music changed everything. I was surprised at how many episodes weren't really about music. <laughs> Mm-hmm. which i feel like that you know there's a your lot show. time to fill yeah but yeah but check it out i, I feel like, like there are better years it yeah. just well, so happened that like well this was 50 years ago well I, I mean i don't know because yeah it was 50 years ago i didn't even do the math there but but looking at the run of records and the stuff that happened to it i you know it was an a impactful music year for sure you know, maybe it did change the world. Maybe it did have an impact and maybe like music made people pay attention to things where previously they weren't or whatever. But I feel like you could say the same about like 69, you know, yeah, like, I, don't know I was going to say 68, yeah. 69, 70. <laughs> yeah. But either way, if you like music, if you like history, it's interesting. If you want to know the story behind Attica, it's in there. Uh, <laughs> Attica. So, Attica. <laughs> which is, which did lead to a very, lead to a very good thing where my wife was asking, uh, how does Al Pacino tie into all this? And so then I had to pause the documentary and look at her I'm like, have you not seen Dog Day Afternoon? <laughs> and so then I had to pull that movie up and show the Attica scene and, and explain that context. <laughs> oh, John Cazal. So our He's main topic best. tonight, Mythic Quest Season 2. Mythic Quest, well, Season 1 was called Mythic Quest Raven's Banquet. I don't know if it's, if it's officially called, still called that or not. They dropped the sub thing. Well, it's still listed that way to IMDb, but it doesn't matter. Mythic Quest... Uh, was a show I first heard about on this very podcast from Josh early on in the run of the show when he said, this is a show I've been watching. You should check it out. Or was that the case or was it right, before, right after you texted me? I mean, it was you. I talked to you probably the exact same time that Romo did. He might have actually said it first. So it wasn't on this show, but you, you really talked it up on this show. And that's mm-hmm. how I got to watch it. It was based on you talking about it. So Mythic Quest is highly tuned into this, this particular podcast. All three of us watched the first season, and I would say loved it. I think that's fair to say that we all loved the loved first it. season. Loved it. Mm-hmm. Season two just ended, ended last week. It's uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine episodes. Yeah, weird number. And I almost want to give this season a mulligan because they had to rewrite every episode other than the flashback one because of COVID. Yeah. Like, this wasn't what they planned to do for season two. And it, once you know that and you watch it, you can see it's uh-huh. all it makes sense. It's all very yeah. siloed. All the characters are, are kind of bubbled off. I mean, I didn't know that that was the reason, but I absolutely noticed. Like, I was like, oh, they're working under limitations. Yep. And I'm not going to say I didn't enjoy. I really did enjoy watching every every episode, and I always got a good laugh out of it. But it wasn't nearly as strong as season one. And it was kind of a bummer. Yes. I would have put a pin in the backstory episode and its immediate follow-up because those are, I think, yeah, separate let's stand stories. There. So, so I, will sh- I will share that feeling, Connor. Forever, we should tip our hat and give credit to Josh. Josh is the one who turned yep. me on to this show. Yep, Josh, I sure. will give you this credit till the end of time. That's my legacy. Thank That's you, That's your everyone. legacy. Turn, turn, turn Ron and Connor on to Mythic Quest. But, <laughs> which, uh, which was okay for one season. <laughs> and, and the thing was is that I, I enjoyed it and I actually found myself loving David Brittlesby the most this season. I thought he the, the executive He's great. Producer. But I thought maybe he was was it too much this season? No, I, I thought it was great. Every time I just I I was waiting for it. I loved it and all this sort of stuff. But everything every other and and he went through some dark stuff, the wolf, yeah. He went through some dark stuff as a character, but every character just re, you know really took a turn for the dark or the negative in a way that was that was almost distasteful. 
at times. Like it just it just went really dark and really mean at times, with the exception of the testers, maybe. And honestly, it wasn't until the finale where the finale felt like the first season again. Yeah, I thought the finale was a str- the finale again, was strong. Other than backstory and the follow up to backstory, yes, I thought the yep. finale was really strong. The finale was really it was, was funny. It was funny and it was like heartfelt and like and like the thing that and and the thing that I zeroed in on while we were watching the finale that I pointed out to my wife when we were watching it. I'm like. This season has not been about the game. No. And w- the first the first season, what made it interesting was these people interacting in the world of the game. But it was it came back to the game at every point. Yes, exactly. It was it was dealing with the with the with the white supremacists yeah. or dealing with the like it was like the game the was the yeah. was the, yeah was the paradigm and everybody was reacting within this where this was like the game was just the backdrop which I realized how much of a factor that was meant to be and the moment the game came back into it in the last episode and there were glimmers like in the beginning of the season with the with the art department I thought that was hysterical yeah like the art department guy made me laugh and all yeah. that stuff and that all went away mid season and then it came back at the last episode and i was like this is what i love about this show well, because so. the game is a unifying force amongst all the characters yep. i think what's missing in the season is there's no through line to the it was yep. it felt well, almost that, like that every episode was, was its own thing that didn't relate yeah. to any other episode there wasn't a story yeah the characters arcs were not clear at all Lindsay and i were just like what the fuck is going on with poppy this season like yes yeah, it jerk. made no sense like she was just being a jerk but without ever coming back around again so by comparison then you go back to Ian and you can't put a finger on what the fuck he's about either. Yeah. And and the only thing that I mean like the only thing that really came through is that Rob McElhenney and the the crew are kind of over millennials. <laughs> yes. Like that was yes. the best running just like why do you think anyone cares about your feelings, you know? <laughs> and they kept nailing them and it was like you're just annoying. You're not wrong but you're annoying. <laughs> and it's funny but it, you know like it, there were funny things every episode, but it's almost it's like, not enough to hang your hat on. No, because there wasn't think, a, there wasn't think, a story. I didn't, think, I didn't think it was okay to be annoyed by the testers, but I was really annoyed by the testers for most of the season. No, they were annoying. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the the one the the short hair the short hair one it was written to be annoying. She was annoying. She was a parody of the overly woke white oh, person. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> they tried to put something in with Brad's brother, but. I didn't care at all about that, and it only it kind of came and went. There wasn't like an overall story to this. I did like, I, oh, what's her name? The Brad's, you know, David's secretary assistant who became. Oh, she's yeah. The, what's her name? She's hilarious. She's very funny. And, she's and like that storyline was ridiculous enough that it didn't need to be that weighty. But every time her and Brad were on screen, those are I think those are some of the strongest points of the season. Yeah, I felt bad. For them and for me as a fan, because clearly they're scrambling. Yep. And it seemed like the, the solution was we'll find a funny hook for each episode and write around that, as a, and we just won't have a full season arc yeah. because we don't we can't do it. Yeah. To counter to counter the Brad stuff, I did enjoy the Brad stuff, and the reason why I actually liked the brother because they're shimmering because it was like personal conflict gave you a little more insight to him, but it was about it at for a moment it was about the game, and then right. it, it stopped being about the game. Well, that's what I mean, it, they brought it in and then it went away. And then yeah. they came back at the end for the final up. Like it just sort of it didn't it wasn't like season one with the streamer who was their nemesis for the entire season. Right. Yep. Yep. You know, they brought him in halfway through out of nowhere, and then all of a sudden he show, he's gone again until the very end. Yeah, but nobody else really knew about him. Right. right. Very like the last episode, it was like, wait, she get for what? Brad's gone? Like they didn't even know. Yeah. Now partially <sighs> Backstory and Peter, which backstory is the flashback episode like they had last season. 
And Peter was the follow-up, which they didn't do last season, directly following up the, epi- the events of the backstory episode. Yep. It almost was like those two weeks, as amazing as I thought they both were, killed the, the momentum of the story. Yep. Because last yep. season we had one flashback. It ultimately thematically matched what was happening in the rest of the show. But here, it was three weeks until you got back to the, what was happening with the characters. And what I thought was interesting was that when I, when I realized they were doing a flashback episode, I was like, oh, they're going back to the well. Right. Like they did this really cool thing and now they're going to do it again. I was slightly kind of annoyed. But once I saw what they were doing with it, I got I, I was like, all right, I'm in. And it, it was, was done so it was done so well. But what I what I think is interesting in comparing the flashback, the flashback episode in season one had nothing to do with Mythic Quest. But thematically, like you said, like tied into the theme of the show and all that sort of stuff. And while this directly was directly about one of the characters, right? So it was it was still a little different, and and I felt like that's why they needed the follow up. Yeah, and and of course you get William Hurt, you use him. Yeah, for right. Sure. So <laughs> having William Hurt as a guest star doesn't hurt, um, but uh-huh. and, but yeah, but I still so for a moment I was like, oh god, don't do it again. But then it was good. And F. Murray Abraham is incredible. So the, like yeah. have him being relegated to a face on a screen because again he's he's eighty years old and they probably couldn't get him on the set for a while. Right. Hurt the show, and when he came back yeah. in, it was better. Yep. The only He's thing so about great. it was, I, so I think that I think that those episodes were good, but I didn't really like them all that much in the way that, like, I, I was like, wow, they're really they're, they did the the time period really well and the characters, and I thought, you know, Big Head did a great job acting as that <laughs> character, but I wasn't super into it, and really? therefore I wasn't as much into it later. You know, I thought they were good, but. I don't know. It didn't quite scratch whatever the itch was for him, but I think at the same time you're absolutely right in in that in that first episode when you had that swerve or first season when you had that swerve episode, there was a real sense of what the hell is going on here. But pretty quickly you kind of just forgot that you didn't know what was going on. Whereas this yeah. time it just doesn't have the same effect. Yep. And I was like, I don't think you can keep doing it. I don't think it works, or at least not in the exact same spot in the exact same way. I think it's also just because CW. I, I ultimately like I don't really know, like I know we got his backstory, but it didn't really seem to have any impact on what happened in the season. No, that, and that's my point. But I thought the, as a story, as a one act play, it totally takes character and, and breaks him apart. Yes. Like it's every, everything yeah. we thought we knew about this character is wrong. Yeah. You know, this no, whole time he's this drunken, you know, womanizing has been who's holding on to his one crowning glory. And it's not even his gl- glory. And that oh, makes him man. even yeah. sadder. So I, I, I thought I that as I a, don't even disagree with you. I just. Don't re- I, I wasn't really that drawn into it. As a right. I thought it was really good, but I don't think I liked it that much. Yeah. Well, I thought it was great, and then I thought the follow-up Peter where he goes uh, to visit his old friend was really good, too. I mean, there was... The, yeah. tester, the tester girl didn't need to be there. She didn't need to be did there. Not, did not, yep. At all. Yep. But I thought, you know, him and William Hurt were great, and is two people who once were friends, once respected each other, and mm-hmm. now are, are completely complete strangers, and there's animosity... It was really honest. I thought. Yeah. Like, I thought yeah. it was really like like the nuance of relationship and like he, you know, how F. Murray Abraham's character, Big Head, held it against him for forty years that he that he got the girl and he didn't, right? And like and that that's that's real. And it's like it was interesting to see how it manifests in that old age, and then to see them, you know, in facing mortality and like the scene, you know, the scene with the William Hurt's daughter. Yep really you know kind of brought it back to earth and like because the thing was is that like 
you know, the, the F. Murray Abraham character is a bizarre, you know, all the Thai, the Thai ladyboy stories and all this sort of stuff, right? And and you, you don't know, like, what planet is this guy from? And the first half of the flashback, you know, he's you really like him. Yeah. You know, he's he's like he's got he's wide eyed. He's from Iowa. He's in L.A. He loves science fiction. You see this whole thing, and then you watch the kind of crumbling of him through jealousy and competition. Well, he also doesn't have talent. Yeah, exactly. And, and like the realization of not having talent and wanting, you know, being in the same room as Isaac Asimov and, and all those people and like seeing seeing it so close, but like, you know, coming to the realization that you don't actually have it and doing whatever it will take to do it. And then the moment that he that, you know, that he does what he does in order to win the Nebula Award pretty much sets the tone for everything you know about the character, because like he's never been to Thailand. Right. right, like all that stuff that he says, he's never, you know, like he, all this stuff. He's working at a rent fair. Up. He was selling chicken at it's a rent fair. It's all BS. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. And so, like, and so you kind of make it makes him this really kind of sad, tragic figure. And that's why I think it's also really interesting that in the finale, he's the one that realizes that they're done with the game. Yeah. You know, and like and like that he's the one who delivers that because so so the theme was there. There there are ties to it where you you kind of understand where it's coming from. But yeah, but I, I think the, the 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 disjointedness and what they had to do with the season got in the way, unfortunately. And they also so. he you know, he has his moment of triumph in that backstory episode where he sees Pong and yeah. all of a sudden the future is laid out for him. You know, and people who are visionaries, that happens. Where they, yeah. they, they make the connections in their brain. He was talented, but it was before his time. Right. I see where this is going. I see the possibility with this technology. And then he goes and excitedly tells his editor at the magazine, played by the writer of the episode. And they're like, you're a nut job. Get out of here. Talking video games. We're going to, they're going to tell stories and be interactive. And, and so that, but that becomes his life eventually, which... Is nice for him because he, he had that moment, even if it's all based, if the rest of his life is based on lies and fraud it's, and stories. It's, and- it's sort of as if, like, you came up with this format to do like a video show about something niche. But <laughs> you showed up far too early. Far before, too early. <laughs> far uh, too early. Before there was a platform that would allow people to be successful with that, doing much worse work uh, than you had originally pioneered. Yeah, it hit close to home. Anyway, it, it, it's tough. You know, it's tough because you take. I thought three of the episodes were really strong, but the rest were like the bottle episode was fun, but it wasn't, you know, there were fun moments of things. I don't like bottle episodes because I can, I, I know, and I, I get it. Like, again, it's not their, you know, they're working with what they had to work with, but you could tell. I remember that was why I stopped watching. It, it pissed me off about that preacher show. I was like, so you're just going to be in this town. Cause that's all the money you have. Or like the, yeah. I think it was like the second season of the walking dead. I was like, Oh, I see. You're just here now because that's what the budget allows for, you know, which is, again, it's not their fault. But once you notice it, you notice it. Well, it's a COVID thing. But I I think part of the part of the fun of the first season, too, was the sprawling cast of characters that were constantly bouncing in and out of scenes. Like, I love the woman in charge of the community. We saw her for one scene. Yep, and then she was out. We never saw her yep. again. And and also oh, yeah. what I and also like the HR woman in the yeah. first season was was funny. And this it was just like oh I, I hated every time she was on screen because she was so mean. And she was also really one dimensional too. Yeah, yeah. Like it, it really I noticed that in the in the finale I was like oh we're just she's just gonna be annoyed with them again. Which yeah. th- that seems like uh, don't put her in there if you don't have anything for her to do. Right. I felt bad watching it because the first season was really and I've I told everybody to watch it. But mm-hmm. it's just, you know, the problem is on the whole TV, and Ronald, Ronald know what I'm talking about, TV is kind of messed up right now. 
It was so messed up because of because of the COVID situation. Like a lot of shows yeah. ended early, and then they finished their last seasons as part of the next new season. So all the momentum is disjointed, and all the rhythm of a season is disjointed. Or like billions put out six episodes, and then this didn't make any more. And they might do the the other the back six next year. Like it's mm-hmm. it's all out of their control. And I, have, I, I don't, so I don't coming down hard. I'm not like wagging my no. finger at the makers of Mythicus. I'm, I feel bad for them. It's just unfortunate because the show was so great, and now it's just like, well, season two was kind of what it was, and hopefully season three, if the Delta variant doesn't take off, is better. But man, it's just it was a bummer a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they haven't greenlit season three, right? So like, well, so, so, so like, the other that's thing. The thing. So so yeah, the finale ends with with Ian and Poppy leaving the game. Really seemed so, like the end. It could have been the end of a show. It could be the end of the show oh, because sure. now you know now Brittlesby's running things. Well, he was before. He just wasn't yeah, before. Yeah, I know. Yeah, but you know, y- y- I have no idea where they take it in the next season at all. I mean, which is which I think is a is a compelling way to end it, but also it's like, oh, it doesn't you know this could be it. I mean, the uh, show is called Mythic Quest, not called Ian and Poppy. So, like, well, if they go off to make another game, what happens then? Yeah, exactly. True, and it, and it's it, also I mean, it, it couldn't and, cost that much to make that show. Yeah, I mean it's a full. I mean they that that whole compared that whole, to the other shows that are yeah. on Apple TV Plus. No. Yeah, possibly, but also like I was reading. I don't know if you guys read uh, the latest Entertainment Weekly with with Jason Sudeikis on the cover, but it, it said, and you probably saw it in other things, but like Ted Lasso season three and done. They're done after season three. So like maybe there's a you know there's uh, Apple TV might be doing less of a pump out as many seasons as you can and just be like oh you're done with the story let's move on. Well, that's what they're all yeah. doing. Yeah, Netflix doesn't really go beyond season three for anything unless it's huge, right? Or reality, right? Well, I hope we get another season to sort of write the ship and finish the story. Yeah, it'd be very sad if this was the end and they had you know it was a season that was hobbled by things outside their control. Yeah, it's a great cast. It's an incredible cast. It's just fun. Yeah, right. Like like when like and that's what that last episode reminded me. Like uh, up until. I mean, the, until the very end, but like the banter was was fast, and like when the tester came in, oh, to that was talk a great scene. Poppy, that was yeah. great. It was like, oh, it was like, and I was like, I want, I'm like, why couldn't the season been more of this? You know, like you're annoying us, but you're right. <laughs> now go be right. <laughs> I think it's still worth watching, especially if you enjoyed the first season. There's there's things in every episode that will make you laugh, but man, yes, bummer. Yeah. So we have some extra time here. I've got some emails in the mailbag I pulled out. Ooh, I've laid them out on the table. Else. All right. Close your uh, eyes and pick one. First email is from Eric S. from Sweden. Ooh. Eric says, as a student of your podcast for the last 14 to 15 years, I know that you've talked about reading Star Wars novels. I'm looking, I'm looking to take a stab at reading some myself. So my question is, what are your favorite Star Wars novels? Oh, man. Good question. So I guess the question is, is that, uh, is this bef- pre or post canon reset? Doesn't matter. If it's got Star Wars in the title, it's not. I mean, I feel like there may have been some amazing Star Wars novels in the time from which we stopped reading Star Wars novels. Right. So it's just, yep. it's just our favorites. We're not saying these are the definitive best. Mm-hmm. Yep. You know? Which is funny because I just think it's very funny how there's like a whole. There's a whole industry we've missed out on. There's a line in the sand <laughs> of which Star Wars refuses to acknowledge the books that we enjoyed. Well, that's true. Our books are no longer canon. Yeah, there's Star Wars Legends. And now there's like, there's a whole industry of. Grand Moff Tarkin books and Grand Animal Thrawn books and yep. just I know nothing about them. I stopped reading the books in 1999 and I read really one after what's, that. What's really interesting, which uh, by the way, the nine, was was the the book in 1999 that you stopped reading, the one where Chewbacca died. Yes. Yep. Me too. I was That's like, where I put the books I'm, down I'm and said, "Nope, 
I was like, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to live in a world that doesn't have Chewbacca. Yep. Well, luckily for you, they pulled that back. Yeah, luckily. <laughs> I, so I, so before, I, wait, I, before we get into it, though, I, I, I went to Wikipedia because I'm like, oh, let me pull up the list of books. And the Wikipedia page list of Star Wars books starts in 2014. What? Really? Anything, anything before 2014 is not canon and therefore does not exist. <laughs> we should probably <laughs> preface any recommendations we make by saying that none of none of the stuff we like is in, in canon. <laughs> Which is fine. It never was to begin with. Influencing stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was all fanfic anyway. Yeah. Which is all right. Fine. So, Josh. I mean, I'd say that the Timothy Zahn books, the original yep. Thrawn trilogy. Yes. You know, that was the first one I read. I think that tends to be the gold standard of Star Wars books as, as far as I, I've never heard anybody speak about any of the other following ones with the same sort of reverence. Like, you have to read these. And I think that it is, it tells you how how important and good they were in that, like, Thrawn is a character that they're bringing back. And, and you, know, um, you know, Mara Jade isn't canon, but... She's nope. been around for a long time. Hey, Zahn wrote than... a Thrawn book in 2017 called Thrawn. Right, right, because, you know, they recognize the and value in that. Well, he did a whole Thrawn trilogy. Oh, yeah, he I did more than so that. Four of them. Those books was that what it, what it really did was... Wow. He's done six Thrawn books. Sorry, guys. Six Thrawn books since, since 2014. First one, just so for the you might not know about it, Heir to the Empire, volume one of a three-book cycle by Timothy Zahn came out in 1991. So you want yeah. the the Star, Star Wars the Thrawn trilogy? That's what you want. You want this to get those is three. the this is the you know episodes seven eight nine that we yeah yeah you know wanted. that we didn't think we were going to ever get. Maybe this is a better call. You know what's kind of crazy? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Wikipedia <laughs> is supposed to be a nonpartisan list of the information. They're just they're they're towing the line. If you didn't know any different, you would think there was a never a fucking Star Wars novel before 2014. I can't even find a link to where you'd find the old books. No, I know. I, I moved over to Star, uh, the Wikipedia. But that's crazy. Like, th- that's crazy. Yep. Continue, it's Josh. crazy. I'm right there with you. So we're talking about a time period before Episode One comes out, and there hadn't been special editions yet. But in the midst of all that stuff sort of bubbling up, when I was in college is when I read the books, and I, it was just the closest I had to the feeling of, like, I really want to know what's going to happen next. I have no... Uh, base and it's funny because if you read them now, it's going to be like, "Well, we know what happened to all these people," but back then we didn't, and this was the best possible. Oh, it was the most exciting thing it, ever, and it was it was so page turning. It would do that thing. I mean, this isn't like a, a not normal thing, but it's the standard of the books where you'll be reading about one thing happening to one group of characters, and you get to the 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 sort of uh, climax of that scene, and they switch to the other characters, and you go, Dog, I don't care about this. <laughs> and then the same thing happens again in that chapter, and it does it over and over again. He does it yep. through three books, and it is, oh. There, there, was, there was a glorious time. So, so Heir to the Empire came out in 91. I think I stumbled upon it. It must have been at least 92 or 93, because I don't think, I, like. I think it was 92 when they hit the popular. Yeah. Because I remember the, going to buy the hardcover for Dark Force Rising and then having to buy the, the softcover for Heir to the Empire. Yeah, well, I, yeah, I, I remember. I remember buying the soft cover, the little, the little small paperback of yeah. Heir to the Empire, and just like, what the hell is this in, a, yeah. in high school? And there was a run from '92 up until you know, up until '99, yep. where there was multiple trilogies out there at any given time, right? You know, yep. there, the, the, remember the Truce at Bakora, right? Yeah, so what, yeah. basically, what what they did was they they had they had multiple trilogies running in paperbacks. And then maybe once or twice a year, a single story hardcover would come out. 
right? And like Trusa Bakora was one, uh, Dark Saber was one, right? And like they were, oh god, they were so good. They were just you so, had, so you had, but you also had great things like the um, X, uh, the X, Rogue yeah, Squadron books, Rogue Squadron, and the yep, Bounty yep. Hunter books, Tales of the Bounty Hunter, and well, that well, that's that's the yeah, that's the that's the one that we all love was that there was a couple of anthology books. Yep. There were two of them. One was Tales of the Bounty Hunters, came out in 1996, and uh, Tales of uh, Jabba's Palace, which I forget when that came out. I'm trying to find it now. Those were just short stories about the background characters, which. By that point, by 1997, we were all about the background characters. Yeah. <laughs> but it was the thing because you didn't have real answers. So, yeah, exactly. again, it's going to be weird looking at those because you've been given quote unquote answers. Yeah. You know, and so, you know, when you read Tales of the Bounty Hunters, like, you didn't know anything about it. But they're the ones, because they're the ones I read, they're the ones I go to in my, they're my headcanon. You know, they're my, sure. my, absolutely, my thing. That story of Dengar is the Dengar story. Although I think that is kind of the only Dengar story still. No, they haven't fleshed out Lax Sivrak. Right. You know? Or like you know, but like or like Malakili. The Rancor yeah. Keeper's story is in Tales of Jabba's Palace, and that's the story as far as Muff I'm Pack. concerned. But there were but but like within the, the Zahn books and then as the books continued on, you know, you, you got introduced to Mara Jade, yeah. right? Who who was like you know, kind of like love interest for Not um kinda. He for, was, for, Luke's, she Luke's was. Love, yeah, it was, yeah. Love and then interest. and Han and Leia had kids. They had Jason and Jaina and then at young they named the third kid was Anakin, right? Yep. Um yeah, and, and then like Luke starts a Jedi Academy and you meet a whole new class of upcoming Jedi. Like it, it like it touched on every aspect that you loved about Star Wars because you had like the Rogue Squadron books, which is about the X Wing fighters, right? You had the, the the Luke Jedi stuff that was going on. You had, you know, Han doing you know the Corillian trilogy. You got oh who was what was the name? Oh Corrin Horn. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the, wow. the hotshot Corillian. You pulled that one out pilot. of your brain. Yeah, I sure did. It was, it was the Shadows so of the Empire book. Yep. That took place between Empire and Jedi with Prince Jizor. Well, because oh, yeah. now, now here's the thing: Shadows of the Empire was great because Shadows of the Empire was because at the same time as all these books, you had a burgeoning video game, right? At, you know, yeah. kind of uh, a silo of Star Wars. There was computer games was like Dark continuity Forces in a way. Yeah, there was a computer game Dark Forces, and then there was like X Wing and Rebel Assault and Tie Fighter, like all these flight sims. There was all these really cool stuff, and then. They brought it all together, and they came out with Shadows of the Empire, which had a video game, a book, action figures. Like it was the most coordinated across the, the Star Wars universe anything had been. And it was like you're reading the book about these characters, you're playing the video game with Dash Rendar, you got the you could get the ship from Toys R Us. It was oh, it was the, it was a great time for Star Wars fans. Uh, and then it all came burning down in '97. What's interesting is that my Star Wars book fandom begins as we said '92 with Dark Force Rise in the second of the Thrawn trilogy books, which and then I read them both together that summer and then waited patiently for the third book. And then I dropped off when they killed Chewie in 97, I'm sorry, 99. And then I just looked it up and Star Wars Scoundrels, which is the last of the books I've read. Yeah. Because it was Timothy Zahn coming back for the first time. And I, 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 I decided, that. okay, I'll do this because it was young Han and Chewie and Lando on a, on a heist adventure. And that was 2013. So right before they shut the door, wow! the blast doors came down right on me. Open the blast doors. None of these books are canon. I thought maybe Scoundrels had made it, but apparently not. I enjoyed Scoundrels. If you guys hadn't read it, I think you should. It's fun. What was the book where Chewie died? I don't, I don't want to know. <clears throat> it was stupid. Was it Rogue Planet? No, it wasn't Rogue Planet. It was dumb. Well, that one you're okay with losing from canon. It was interesting that... It's just interesting. I mean, I get... 
why they did it, but from a business standpoint. But that's a lot of years they just of them are erasing from existence. Well, I mean, yeah. I'm not saying they need to be in continuity. They obviously can't, and they don't need to be. The only thing that matters is the films, but to to disregard them and and totally just swap them to the side is crazy. Vector Prime. Oh, that's That's right. Vector Prime. That was the book. R.A. Salvatore, the writer. Yeah. Oh, he did a bunch of them at the time. Ron, yeah, I have did. a I have a visceral memory of finishing that book. There, there was there on was my bed, the, senior year, yeah. my rickety old house on Pennsylvania Avenue in Ithaca, Ithaca, New York, and yeah. just being like, "Fuck no." Nineteen ninety nine. Yep, I, I, I was. I didn't even read it. I'd heard. I, yeah. So there so was fourteen there was like, years till I picked up a Star Wars book again. There was a roster of dudes writing those books. Like so, R. A. Salvatore, Kevin J. Anderson. Uh, yeah, like like, and you yeah. could you could guess what kind of book it was based off who wrote it. You I like know? the Kevin J. Anderson books. Yeah, Roger McBride Allen. He wrote a lot of the the uh, the Carillion ones, the Carillion trilogy stuff. Oh God, it was so good. Have we answered Eric's question? I mean, we've answered the we've answered we, we answered a question the best, to the best of our ability, which is clearly extremely biased yeah. in terms of time well, and. Well, sure. Now that said, post new canon, I did buy the book uh, from a certain point of view. Which I'd hoped would be like the tales, whatever, and I and I brought it on vacation, and I never read it. It's still sitting on my tablet. I read the first Chuck, what's his name, book before Wendig. Yeah, the first he did a trilogy, I think, and I read the yeah. first one that came out before uh, episode seven, and that was it. It wasn't bad. It wasn't. I just didn't. I didn't care. So what? What, yeah. what was the impetus for doing that? Was it the same thing for me? Just when I picked up Scoundrels, like I just want to read a Star Wars book, and then so you, I think I think was I after, was Aftermath. That's the book. Aftermath. aftermath so I yeah. guess that came out right after Episode Seven. I think that would make sense because yeah. I think I was on a high from that, and I thought, well, maybe I can get some more of this. And Is that the book that Doctor you know, Trey co-wrote. No. Okay. No. You know, and, and I, I fit it, it spent a, it spent a lot of time with characters who I didn't know. It was rather like making up new ones instead of ones that I'd I'd gotten to to know. Yeah, I mean, it was fine, but and I finished the book, but I never read another one. I'll tell you what what Star Wars books that we we collectively all loved that you can go read and has nothing to do with the canon, but those uh, Rinsler, Rinsler making of books. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And there's also a book about all the action figures uh, that Steven Sanderson did. Um, like all of the, like I'm on, there's a Tashin book, the Star Wars archives, 1995 to 2005, like these great, huge coffee table books. These books are tons of fun. If you can pick one of those up, if you love Star Wars, these, you know, big books of great photography and like all the historical stuff and the behind the scenes stuff, the J.W. Rinsler books, the making of Star Wars Empire and Jedi, you cannot go wrong. So I'll just say from a novel standpoint, the original Timothy Zahn trilogy, which was Heir to the Empire, Dark Force Rising, and what was the third one? The Last Command. Oh, look up those. Look up Michael Stackpole's X-Wing books, Rogue Michael Squadron. Stackpole, that's the guy who wrote those books. Rogue Squadron, yeah. Wedge's Gamble, and the Krytos yeah. Trap, and also the Back to War. Josh, I think you should reread those, actually. I think I was in the middle of one of them when I stopped reading them all together. I think I was like, what am I doing? It was another really good one that was like the new Jedi. But, but they were really good about like dogfights in space. Like yeah. it was really written for someone who knows. like those were really good. And then Zon did more. Did Spectre of the Past, Vision of the Future. I feel like I read those. Listen, I feel like because they came back because there was two. There may have been a second Zon trilogy after the first one. I think, there I, was, think I read yeah. those. There had to have been. Oh, you money. know what you got to read? You got to read. Um, go back to where it all started. If you've never read Splinter of the Mind's Eye, hmm. by I, Alan I will D. say. Foster. During that time, I tried 
I tried to read the you know the 1977 one, the one that came out that says it's by George Lucas but isn't, and it was some of the most impenetrable that's, prose I've ever encountered. That's, 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 that's Splinter of the Mind's Eye. Really? So Splinter of the Mind's Eye was yeah. the book that came out after Star Wars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just called Star yeah. Wars. It, no, it's, it's called Splinter of the Mind's Eye. Splinter no, no, no. There was eye. one that was like the Star Wars novelization. Oh, the novelization. Oh, it says, the movie. And it says oh. by George Lucas. Right. Probably but wasn't. No, well, I mean, if it made no it sense, been. it was. Yeah, yeah it was. Uh, it was pretty rough. So yeah, so Splinter of the Mind's Eye came out in 1978 and was like the first out of movie story told. You know, in yes. it. Um, ooh, what about AC Crispin? Do you remember him? The Han Solo trilogy. Yes, that that thick book. Oh. Josh, there was a, not a second th- trilogy. There was a duology. There was a second. I read those. A second Zahn Thrawn duology, Spectre of the Past, Vision of the Future. That was 97, yeah, 98. I, I, yeah. I, I misspoke. It was Tales of the Bounty Hunters and Tales of the Most Icely Cantina. Yes, yes, yes. yes. Not Dobbs not Palace. Tales like, of the were Most you Icely. like, do I want to know everything about the Bith Band? You do. Yes. And yes, I do. Yeah. It yeah. turns out you really do. Yeah. So, so hopefully, hopefully Eric found some good stuff in there. This is our point of view. The Bakora was really good as a single book, like one book, like that was that was. I remember that one being really good. So. Listen, Star Wars has taught us one thing: is that truth always comes from a specific point of view, and this yeah. is our point from of view from time to time. Yeah. So, Eric, thanks for writing in. Hopefully, you can find some Star Wars books in there. Contact.fanboy.com is what Eric wrote into to get on the show. Thanks for that. We got a bunch of emails. We'll get to them eventually. Can we do one more? Is there a quickie? No, like, we can't no. do one more. We're out of time. Honor. Yeah, sorry. Oh, I don't want to go to bed. I know. So we'll get to we have more to get to next time. We'll get to those. There's a good one if we got in here that'll lead to lots of arguing, which is always the best. Great. Go to patreoncom fanboy. Join up if you want to uh, see more content. They unlock this show. They unlock the books blows, the talks blows, the YouTube shows. All that's unlocked by the patrons over patreoncom fanboy. We thank everyone who's become a patron, supports the show, and unlocks shows for everyone to listen to and enjoy. And of course, there is the weekly pick of the week show where Josh and I talk about the week's comics. There is all about Android. Runs weekly. Weekly, every Tuesday. Weekly <laughs> show about phones. Bronze. Weekly? <laughs> weekly weekly show talking all about Android phones and the Android operating system and hardware and fun stuff. Go check that out. And uh, We'll be back next month with more Media Explode. And until then, I'm Connor. I'm Ron. I'm Josh. May the force be with you. And, and also, also with you. See what's going on.